My lady, I turn bisclavre. I plunge into the great forest. In thick woods, I like it best. I live on what prey I can get. When he told her all the story, she asked, inquired one thing more. He undressed? Or what did he wear? My lady, he said, I go all bare. Where are your clothes? Tell, for God's sake. My lady, I won't say this, no. For if I lost them by this mistake, from that moment on, I'd know I'd stay a bisclave forever. Nothing could help me. I'd never change back until I got them again. That's why I don't want it known. Hi, I'm Ian McInnes. And I'm Alexa Sand. And this is Real Fantastic Beasts. Because we believe that learning about animals in history and literature and art helps us understand our place amongst our fellow creatures today. That was and, challenging, Ian. <laughs> and are, are we doing an animal today? Because uh, this oh, seems yeah, to be a conversation. We're doing, we're doing like the realist of real fantastic beasts. We're doing the werewolf. <laughs> the werewolf, which is appropriate for this time of year. We planned the werewolf to appear Yes, please Halloween. cue spooky, spooky music. <laughs> so uh, the werewolf, or in, uh, in Breton, as the uh, 12th century poet Marie de France tells us, uh, the werewolf is called the uh, bisclavre. Um, or she also tells us, um, if, you, if you say it in Norman, it's garwolf. 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 Yeah. Werewolves have a lot of names, I think, right? They in do. In French, they're called loup-garou. loup literally means wolf werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> so werewolves, I mean, the idea of a werewolf has clearly been around for a long time. Yes. Werewolves have been around, you know, at least since classical antiquity. Herodotus in the 5th century BC tells us that there's this tribe of people in northeastern Scythia, who once a year, just they all transform into wolves for about a week, and then they change back. Just like that. Does it give a reason for this? No, not particularly. I mean, they're barbarians. Who's to account for what barbarians do in their spare time? They're practically wolves anyway. Yeah, so Herodotus has this idea already in the 5th century And then there are numerous accounts of people who turn themselves into wolves for various reasons. Um, Usually they do it themselves. That is to say, it's like a kind of choice that they're making for one reason or another. Usually it's done by magic, often with potions and herbs. And in Latin, there's actually a name for this. Uh, It's called a versipellus, or a person who turns their skin. Like a change coat, a turncoat. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but they actually changed their skin. And this idea of the sort of skin, I think, is really important because in the Middle Ages, it's not like there's an inner wolf that's being let out. It's more like there's a person inside the skin of a wolf. Does that make sense? Yeah, except that that story you told of Bisclavre, the, the, the Breton werewolf, mm-hmm. he becomes a werewolf. He takes off his clothes, and then underneath he becomes a werewolf. Yeah, he takes off his human clothes, but I think 
it's not entirely clear that inside he's ever a wolf. If you if you read the whole story, so this is a a lay or a Breton um, kind of like folk tale that Marie de France, this poet in the 12th century, she translates these into into French for an English audience. But I won't I won't complicate matters too much. In any case, she she translates them into Norman French, the French spoken in. 12th century England. And um, she tells us that this story, which it's not uncommon. I mean, in the, in the preface to the, to the poem, she tells us that um, it's, it's actually quite common in, um, in Normandy for, for men to become <laughs> garvols and to set up housekeeping in the woods. Um, I see. So, <laughs> Yeah. And this story, she situates in Brittany, um, her native land. And, you know, basically, to summarize, this story involves this guy. He's a knight. And and the passage I read, he's talking to his wife. She's beautiful. He's handsome. They're in love. He confesses that three days a week, he's he's a wolf in the woods. See, she's gotten a little concerned because he goes away and she doesn't know what he's up to. Um, And she's worried he's having an affair. When he explains what he's really doing, she's horrified because she's like, wait, you're a wolf? No, I'm not okay with that. So she goes to this other guy who has a crush on her and she says, hey, you've got to help me. We've got to steal his clothes because I don't want to be married. I I can't imagine going to bed with him now. So her conspirator helps her. They steal his clothes. He's trapped as a werewolf and he's out there in the woods. Now, one day the king, whose good friend he was prior to his disappearance, Meanwhile, his wife remarries the other guy. The king is out hunting and his knights and, and his hunting dogs corner this wolf. But instead of reacting ferociously like a wolf would, this gentle knight who's trapped in a wolf's body comes up, and he comes up and begs the king's mercy. He kisses his stirrup. That's the detail that always uh, captures my imagination. And so the king's like, no, you know what? This this werewolf or this wolf is not a wolf. It's it's, you know, a gentle creature. And so I'm going to take it home with me. So he goes home with the king, sort of becomes the king's pet, his favorite pet. And he's always really sweet. He's like that big, rough looking dog that's just like a total, a total sweetheart. You know, everybody loves him. But one day. The knight who has married his wife, the knight who tricked him and stole his clothes, comes to court and he attacks him. The werewolf, Bishoclavre, attacks the the usurper, I guess you could say. And everyone's like, whoa, that was weird because he's usually pretty nice. That guy must have done something to offend him. Later, they're out hunting again, I guess. And Bishoclavre is with the king and the lady shows up, his ex-wife. And he attacks her. He actually bites her nose off. Ouch. And again, everyone's like, well, he's normally such a nice dog. And one smart guy goes, hey, you know, I think that this lady is married to that guy that he attacked. And remember that this lady used to be married to your good friend. Who disappeared. vanished. Something fishy here. We'd better torture the lady and find out what's going on. So they torture her. And... Sure enough, she um, she confesses everything. Yeah. Right? <laughs> As one would under torture, with one's nose missing. 
So what happens next? So they they got a plan. I've been following along here. So uh so <clears throat> here we go. We're gonna have the end of the story. Well, some of the end of the story. Since she had taken away his clothes, he had not been seen in his country. She fully believed and supposed that the beast must be Bisclavre. The king asks for the discarded clothes. Whether she likes it or not, he, she has them brought back. He had given them to the werewolf. When they had put them in front of it, it did not take any notice at all. The wise man, the one who had first advised the king, addressed him, Sire, you are not doing this properly. He wouldn't for anything put his clothing back on in front of you, nor change his animal appearance. You have no idea how important this is. He feels terrible shame about it. Have him led into your rooms and take the clothing with him. We'll leave him there for a good while. We shall see if he becomes a man. The king himself led the wolf in and closed all the doors on him. After a while, he went there, taking two barons with him. All three of them entered the chamber. On the king's own bed, he found the knight sleeping. The king ran to embrace him. More than a hundred times, he hugs and kisses him. As soon as he could get an opportunity, he returned all his land to him and gave him more than I could say. So Well, it's a happy ending for our, our knight who gets to bask in the adoration of the king. But not but, so much for the, the lady. <laughs> yeah, not so much for the lady. I mean, first of all, her nose got bitten off. And then uh, Marie goes on to tell us that she and her you know, new husband are, are um, exiled and that their children don't have noses. For, forever afterwards. Forever yeah. afterwards. Right. So, you know, it's interesting, like, so like, we could talk about the putting the clothing on, we're going to get back to that. But I, you oh, know, yeah. I noticed that this, that the, the name, Bisclavre, which is supposedly, you know, the Breton word for werewolf is also sort of presented as, uh, you know, as the proper name for the knight, right? Like it's, it's his name, right? His mm-hmm. name is werewolf or werewolf is his name, <laughs> if you will. Right. I mean, it's weird. Nobody has actually a name in this story. That's one of the things I really find interesting about it. Like, not the lady, not the other knight. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You know, not not even the king. They're just known by their sort of function or their their social role. Yeah. I'm sure there's been a dissertation written about that. (laughs) So he's in wolf form, and he puts his human clothing on and then turns back into a person. Yeah. And he, yes, and he doesn't want people to see him doing this, which I can completely understand, because can you imagine a dog trying to crawl into a suit and then turn into a person? It would be hilarious. And it's just embarrassing to be naked, you know? Like, he clearly experiences that sort of shame of his nudity at the beginning when he's saying, no, I don't really want to tell you. And she's like, wait, do you undress? <laughs> like, there's there's something going on here around taking off your clothes, Yeah. You know? So is there a period when, do you think, you know, he takes his clothes off, then he is naked, then he is a wolf. So is there a sort of a, a you know, a period at which he is just a naked person? And if he's going to change back into a person by putting the human clothes back on, presumably he yeah. changes first into a naked person and then puts the clothing on. I know. And I kind of wonder if we're missing a step, like where he puts on the wolf skin, because... Okay, so the reason I asked this question is that there is this tradition in like Old Norse and Icelandic literature of the Ulfhednar. Um, so these are like guys, warriors, who strip down before a battle and they put on a wolf skin. 
they're they're kind of like berserkers who put on a bear skin, but they put on a wolf skin. They're just a variety, um, you know. And so they make themselves really fearsome and kind of otherworldly by donning a wolf skin, and they sort of take on the character of the animal whose skin they're they're wearing. And there are quite a few stories about people wearing like a wolf skin. And in fact, there's this really wonderful, um, I think it's in Gerald of Wales. There's this story about the werewolves of Ossory in Ireland. Um, and it's this elderly couple who've been, for some reason we don't know, condemned to living as wolves, right? And ah. the, the husband comes to a priest and begs for last rites for his wife who's dying. His and um, so the priest, you know, doesn't want to give her last rites because she's a wolf. Um, but the but the old man just says, "Wait, wait a minute!" And he like opens up, like basically unzips, unzips the, wolf the suit. skin, and inside is this old woman. You know, <laughs> so clearly there's this idea of like somehow wearing the animal skin, you in a sense become that animal. You take on its characteristics. But it is very strange, you know. Like it's not it's not really clear. Like it seems like the naked human body in this case is is very unstable. It either needs its human clothing or it's gonna put on some animal clothing. Right. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I wonder so yeah, I mean a lot of other stories about uh people who turn into animals or uh, you know, like the seal maidens and things like that, or it's it's almost always the the animal they they become the animal by having that the skin of the animal and when they take off the skin of the animal you can prevent them from say changing back into their animal form by stealing their animal skin and yet this story is is kind of the opposite which makes me yeah. wonder is there you know is is Bisclavre a person who turns into a wolf or a wolf who turns into a person hmm. Also, which is case... Bisclavre a man or a woman? Because in the old French, um, you know, the um, articles are gendered, right? So yeah. just as in modern French. And when he's a knight at the beginning, he's definitely a he and a le, you know. Uh -huh. um, but then as soon as he turns into Bisclavre, he's referred to in the feminine. So she. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's interesting too because it's like you you would think that gender is at its most visible or most established with a naked human body given that, you know, since we have no fur, we don't really hide what we got when our clothes are off, but somehow stripping down and then taking on this wolf persona destabilizes the knights gender and that and that also makes the like hundreds of hugs and kisses and the fact that bisclavre is you know the king's best buddy yeah <laughs> kind of an interesting yes twist yes i know the story i, I noticed that as, as well and the way it just sort of fawns on him and kisses his feet and it's always hanging out around him yeah well you know and the the, the animal as a or the, the person who has been bewitched into an animal is certainly like a different it's a different story uh, than your traditional werewolf story, but yeah. there's no indication of why. What so what the motivation is 
for Bisclavre to either become the wolf or to not. But, you know, it's three days a week. Is that a, that sounds like a compulsion. That sounds like, you know, the curse of, uh, right. of um, Melusine that we talked about in uh, our episode on the Lamia. Uh, yeah, but on the other hand, definitely... he doesn't say that. Yeah, and he def- also, you know, notably, none of these medieval werewolves, not Bisclavre, not his close uh, relation named Melion, um, not, there's a Arthurian legend that's actually in Latin called Arthur and Gorlagun, and Gorlagun is also a man, um, he's a king, and he has this wicked wife who traps him in a wolf form. I mean, there's definitely a kind of element of misogyny in all of these stories that like women are these terrible tricksters who force men to become beasts or something. (laughs) Um, But but there's no um, we don't get that piece of the werewolf legend that's so much a part of sort of modern werewolf lore where it's tied to the moon and the cycles of the moon. And so that. you know, you have a full moon and you get a werewolf. There is one medieval source that talks about that. And it's um, this guy Gervais of Tilbury. So Gervais of Tilbury was an English writer, but he was writing in Latin for uh, the emperor, the Holy Roman Emperor Otto IV. So this is in the late 1100s, in the late 12th century. And um, he wrote this kind of collection of stories for the entertainment of the king, basically. And some of them are you know, little anecdotes about his travels and others are, you know, just sort of folklore. And he says, one thing I know to be of daily occurrence, daily, daily, (laughs) amongst the people of our country, he's saying England, is um, that in the course of human destiny, some men, certain men change into wolves, according to the cycles of the moon. He says that. And he says, you might doubt this, but I know of two cases. I've actually spoken with them. (laughs) and it's interesting because one of them is a story about a guy who was disinherited like he basically lost his lands he was a knight he lost all his property he lost his social identity and he was wandering out in the woods and he just went crazy and then he turned into a wolf and then yeah you know so that that makes sense because he he was essentially an outcast an outlaw um a man living outside of human society and he just sort of completed the transition to being a wolf. Um, and when he got his lands back, he got his sanity back. And now he's no longer a wolf. So the, the moon thing is not some longstanding, you know, like lo- well-developed and attested thing. It could just be Gervais of Tilbury gave us the moon, the werewolf moon. Yeah, and it's almost like he got it from this other guy. Remember I said there were two. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Two examples. Well, the other guy was this guy named Chosever. We don't really know anything about him, but he still suffers from lycanthropy. He still turns into a wolf. And he's he's told Gervais, yeah, it, it happens on the full moon. Okay. So it's kind of okay. like an eyewitness account. Yeah. Yeah. We're sort of, we're building a, an epidemiology of, uh, of the werewolf. It seems like what's, hap- what's yeah. happening is there. He also says, he also says that actually what turned um, the, the first guy back into a human wasn't getting his lands back. That happened subsequently. I should. I should say it was actually when a woodsman cut his paw off. So having the <laughs> paws cut off, yuck, yeah, yeah, turns werewolves yeah. into back into their human form. Oh, hmm. so you don't need yeah. anything with the wooden stake through the heart. I don't know if that goes for werewolves in modern. I, I I have to confess, I'm not like a big fan of werewolf and vampire literature 
you know, in its modern form. So I don't know what all the sort yeah, of modern myths about about the werewolf are. I don't. I don't think the stake confused go, with vampires goes there. But people do. Are you know they're they're uh, unseely creatures. So people are always concerned about how do you properly kill them, right? Uh, yeah. You know, like does it take a silver bullet or things like that? I mean, that certainly oh, applies to werewolves, right? Rather than uh, than others. The thing that everybody knows about the werewolf, besides the moon, is that the bite of a werewolf will will turn you into a werewolf. Is that medieval? I don't see it in any of these sources. Like, I mean, when werewolves bite in these medieval literary sources, like when when Bisclavre goes and bites off his wife's nose or bites the guy who stole his wife, we don't hear that they later turn into werewolves. Mm-hmm. And and his bites, like everybody, even in the poem, people are like, well, there must have been a reason for that. It was a justified bite. Like they're, they're not vicious. Um, they're not vicious towards people in this set, in, in the literary setting, even though Marie de France says, yeah, sometimes they, they're really like, they'll attack people and eat people. Um, and certainly our, you know, our, um, or whatever, however you say that in Old Norse, these, these wolf warriors are, you know, out for blood, um, but it, they don't turn other people into wolf warriors. Right. Uh, now there was this um, Russian, or I should say, uh, Belarusian prince in the 11th century. His name was Vysislav Polotsev, and he, he's a real historical person. And in his own time, people believed that he was a sorcerer and could turn himself into a wolf at night. He would run around his domain and keep people in line. Um, so yes, there was some biting and some some rending of flesh. But again, he didn't turn other people into werewolves. He just ran around and kept order, basically, in his wolfish form. But the really interesting thing about him is he's Christian, right? Like he's a baptized Christian king. He uh, he starts out as Prince of Kiev, but he later becomes king of this whole region. And he has this power as, as a sorcerer to change his skin. But he, at his death, um, he's almost he's almost made into a saint. He's he's treated like his death narrative in the historical chronicle um, really compares him to Christ. So he dies with Christ on the cross. His his the moment of his death is the moment in the Easter cycle where where Christ expires on the cross. So there's this whole sort of like weird Christomimesis, I guess you would call it. <laughs> that's paired with this sorcerer wolf king. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's a huge culture hero, by the way. Well, it sounds like the, the wolf transformation is, you know, part of a criminal justice system in a way, right? You know, oh, it's absolutely. The, you know, it's the state acting, you know, to, to preserve order. But it's interesting that he turns into the, you know, our, perhaps our only saint, sainted werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> or nearly. He doesn't quite make Nearly. Sense, <laughs> Almost canonized werewolf. Not, not for lack of trying. One thing I wanted to talk to you about before we get into the Renaissance werewolf, who I think is a quite different creature. Oh, yeah. Um, is just the origin of the, the term in English, werewolf. Um, I follow this guy on Instagram who's a lexicographer, studies words. And the other day he was talking about the origins of the term woman. And he was like, a lot of people think that woman comes from like, 
the word womb and the word man. So it's like a man with a womb is a woman. But that's not true. It's actually a compound of the word whiff and the, the old English word whiff and the word man. And man doesn't mean male. It means person. And whiff means female. So female person. Female so person. And, and he points out in this, in this little Instagram post, this, you know, real, that man in Old English is where? Yep. So a werewolf is literally a man wolf. And that's, that's certainly recorded by the, like the early moderns who talk about the, you know, the lexicographers of the early modern era mm-hmm. will use the term werewolf and man wolf interchangeably. Do they ever talk about female werewolves? Or I guess they'd be whiff wolves? With wolves? No, no. The werewolf seems to be almost. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have not encountered a female werewolf. Is there? Except is there for a, is, our dying old lady in her wolf skin? I think there's oh, another yeah, yeah. one. I think there's another one from the Mabinogian, the Welsh national legend. Ar- Arthur goes out hunting, and he asks one of his knights. He, he's looking for this woman who's the mother of these two knights who are supposed to be at his court or there's you know some prophecy has said he's supposed to raise these guys with their unpronounceable names for me uh quith and or something like that anyway these these boys he has to go find them and he's out looking for them and he asks one of his knights uh what form is their mother in like <laughs> assuming that she is a shape changer i guess and right. the knight says oh she's a wolf right now and uh, and so when Arthur finally finds her, it's like a wolf mother and her cubs. That old couple in Ireland, there is uh, a story about uh, a, an area of Ireland where every seven years they send a, 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 a newly married couple out into the wilds as wolves. But then they're supposed to come back at the end of seven years and turn back into people and they send a new couple out as wolves. No explanation for why this is supposed to happen. Yeah, I was going to ask what it does. Like, what does that achieve? (laughs) No, it's just reported as one of the marvels of Ireland that they have this rotating, you know, uh, wolf service required Hmm. of some married couples. And it's always a couple Hmm. that gets sent out. So that must be, that's obviously the source of the same story that you mentioned with the elderly couple coming back because... You know, right? Like somehow they got stuck. They didn't get swapped out after seven years. Or seven years is a long time. By then, you're an elderly couple in the Middle Ages. Perhaps, yeah. Right. You know, you were twenty when you got sent out. <laughs> now you're now you're truly antiquated. Yeah. Well, the the average uh, length of a marriage in the uh, early modern period is eight years, and it's ended by the death of one of the partners. Oh, yeah. Really. Yep. So that's like that's crazy. I, you know, I that makes sense though because sometimes when I'm reading like you know Tudor history, I'm like, wow, these people married a lot. They were just they always getting married because they're always dying from <sighs> the sweating sickness or something. Yeah. So seven years is the average length, almost an average length of a marriage, anyway. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, what are our sources for Renaissance werewolves? Well, none of the kind of classical or medieval sources are being recycled in the early modern period in the way that they are for so many of our other, you know, marvelous, mm-hmm. fantastic beasts. Uh, it's almost as though 
the the word survives, the belief in this thing survives, mm-hmm. but then they're reinventing the werewolf in the early modern period. The, I mean, the exception, I guess the exception would be like the term lycanthropy, right? Which is the sort of Greek, you know, term for werewolf. And like, so they, they are aware that there's classical antecedents. They're, they just don't lean into them in the way that they do for other creatures, you know, like the uh, the unicorn, for example. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. They're, yeah. So, and because of that, and, you know, the, the reason for that is, as it was for cats, is the witch craze. Um, so werewolves are getting attached to witchcraft, and by virtue of that attachment, they're also getting uh, sort of connected to you know various forms of transgressive criminality uh, in the period. Mm-hmm. So the werewolf in the early modern period most commonly is basically the the way that serial killers get characterized. So there are serial killers oh. in, in the early so, modern period, and they get caught. And when they get caught, they will either be you know called a werewolf, or they will confess to being a werewolf, uh, or oh. you know whatever whatever that might be. So the the earliest one I think we have is like from 1573, a guy named Gilles, Gilles Garnier, um, who is called the werewolf of Dole. And I've heard he, of him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's I mean, famous. it was it was a big deal. He's a serial killer. Uh, which, you know, serial killers then and now get people quite exercised about about thinking and talking about them. Well, Garnier confessed, and I actually I'm not sure whether he he may have confessed without being tortured. <laughs> but really? uh, you know, he he said, Well, the devil came to me and gave me this ointment, right? And I put this ointment on and it turns me into a wolf, and then I do all these these things. Huh. But of course he's also confessing that he that it, it was a choice on his part, right? He wasn't compelled to be a werewolf. He got the ointment, said, oh, this will be useful, and put it on. Now, Garnier argued that he was starving, right? He was hungry. He needed to feed his family. Uh, he wanted something that would make him a better hunter. And the the, the devil said, oh, I, ha- I got this ointment. It's going to make you an awesome hunter, <laughs> right? Oh, which, which a I wolf see. is. Yeah. But then under the, you so know, under the influence what- of the- what happened to the werewolf of Dole? What? Uh, well, like, he was ex- after he, he made was, his confession. He he was executed, uh, <laughs> at, you know, as as they are. So the other thing you need to know about the werewolf of Dole is that it's not, he wasn't just killing people. There was cannibalism in as well, right? So he was uh-huh. as a wolf killing and eating people, and people kept going missing. So they knew there was, you know. They knew they knew there was predation, and at at that point, there was a lot of assumption that if a if, if a predator is killing people somewhere in France, Gagné's French, that it's probably a werewolf. They're not defaulting to the, you know, say an actual wolf or any other you know natural creature that might be might be killing people. They assume that but you know it's interesting because if you think about what a medieval werewolf is, it's just a wolf that yeah. happens to also be a person. You know what right. I mean? So yes. you, like you can't tell from the outside whether a wolf is a wolf or a werewolf. Like if you watch, I don't know, contemporary films which have werewolves and then there's this whole like they're walking on their hind legs and it's like it's more like a man with a wolf head and some hair and yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's not really a wolf. It's a, it's more of a tranimal. It's a, a scary interstitial thing, but like a wolf that's 
predating humans, maybe that's just a werewolf. Yeah. You know, I mean, these are real fantastic beasts. I think that's, that's true. Something <laughs> I kept thinking about with the yeah. medieval ones. And the, so the, the Renaissance werewolf is less obviously just, you know, a, like a, a wolf itself, right? It's not like a person becomes a wolf mm-hmm. and is then indistinguishable from a wolf. They're very much uh, thinking about the wolfish person, the person who looks like a wolf or who acts like a wolf, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as if as if they're not uh, entirely different. The other, the super famous case, especially uh, in England, because of the way the the the, the you know the news came, it was a, it was it was a newsworthy event. In 1589, there was this guy Peter Stubb in Germany, who was a, another you know serial killer. He killed and ate 13 women, no, 13 children, two women, and one man. This is in 1589, right? So. Had quite a quite a reign of terror. One of the one of the children was actually his own son that he lured into the woods and and proceeded to eat part of. That is so, so disturbing. It is, yeah, it's 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 very very disturbing, and people were very disturbed by this. Yeah, and um, so this 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 guy was he was captured, and the story goes that these people knew there was a that there was something going on, right? People are turning up missing. Body parts are t- sort of turning up, oh, you know, gross. in the woods. So people realize there's a, there's a problem. These hunters are out. They see what they think might be a wolf, but then, you know, it's dark. And then suddenly it's not a wolf anymore. There's this local guy named Peter Stubb. So they are suspicious and they take him back, you know, and and then they torture him. And he reveals that he is in fact a werewolf and that he's been doing all this. And so Peter Stubb becomes a werewolf again by, you know, he, he goes, this, this guy though, he goes to the devil and says, I basically, I would like to kill people. <laughs> and the huh. devil says, here's a girdle. So here's a magic belt, put this on and you'll, uh, you know, you'll be, you'll be transformed. So you've got the ointment, so you've got the So in a way the there's a continuity. Yeah. Yeah, there's a continuity with these like ancient traditions of like people willfully transforming themselves into wolves. Yes, definitely willful. Um, but it's it's also it's sort of more it's it's more technological, right? In other words, you have mm-hmm. a device or a, a treatment that like allows you to do this transformation. Though it is all, I mean, it's 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 still you know, putting something on, right? The girdle or the the, the ointment. It is mm-hmm. it's like a skin, but it's not. It's no longer like animal skin, human clothing. Uh, it's, you know, these sort of, the, the devil's giving you some instrument, right? And that's what the, 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 uh, the news that comes back to England is that, you know, it's a fit instrument to do this particular thing. This pamphlet, mm. by the way, was published in Germany, but there are no surviving examples of that. There's only the, mm. what happens, it comes to England and is then reprinted in English. Yeah. And were there, I mean, you know how there were like, sort of outbreaks of witch hunting or or witch scares i guess um especially in like england and scotland in the 17th century particularly i th- i think um but did did they have werewolf scares not exactly uh there so the percentage of of say um witches who were accused of werewolfism of lycanthropy was actually really really small uh, but it does seem to be at least in you know between say 1570 and 
early 1600s, it seems to be a reliable response to to you know serial killings, right? Like they that's where they went with a serial killer. They always went there. And it's partly a response to these two early stories of, you know, these famous, famous examples that get the in their head. In you know, in their head, the picture of the of the serial killer is the picture is the picture of a werewolf. So serial killers are themselves, you know, accused of doing this. It sort of dies out along with the idea of the werewolf. It's itself. But the way they talk about the becoming the wolf is quite different than than what we hear in the stuff that you uh, gave us from from the middle ages. So this is a there's a an English account which is obviously drawing on both uh, the you know Gilles Garnier and Peter Stubb um, and it says a werewolf is a certain sorcerer who having anointed his body with an ointment made by instinct of the devil and putting on a certain enchanted girdle, just like to both. <laughs> right. And then it's like, does not only to the view of others seem as a wolf, but to his own thinking hath both the shape and nature of a wolf. So long as he wears the said girdle and accordingly worries and kills human creatures. So <laughs> that's raising the possibility that it's an illusion, right? That it's, it will, you know, it makes them seem like a wolf to other people and seem like a wolf to themselves and behave like a wolf. But it doesn't say they turn into an actual wolf at all. It's almost the opposite of Bisclavre, right? Like he has yeah. to strip down to become a wolf. These guys have to put stuff on and like sort of, and he really is a wolf. Yeah. Yeah. On the outside. Yes. Yeah. But they're more like and- inner wolves or something. So the, the pamphlet on uh, Peter Stubb says that the girdle, so he puts the girdle on, he was straight transformed into the likeness the likeness of a greedy, devouring wolf, strong and mighty with eyes great and large, which in the night sparkled, likened to brands fire, a mouth great and wide with most sharp and cruel teeth, a huge body, mighty paws. But presently, uh, in the, if he when he puts off the girdle, presently he appears in his former shape, according to the proportion of a man, as if he had never been changed. So there's transformation, but there's also that idea that it's it's the likeness of. It doesn't say that he was transformed into a greedy, devouring wolf. It's just that it made him look like a wolf. That raises the possibility that it is it's an illusion. And when people talk about uh, witches in the period, ironically, given the fact that they are already talking about a category which we know does not really exist, they are pretty sure that when witches say they're wolves, they're not. That they are themselves turned in, you know, they believe something that's not true. So uh, this guy Gifford in 1593 has a little book on witchcraft. um, And he says, well, these devils make the witches in some places believe that they are turned into the likeness of wolves, that they rend and tear sheep, they meet together in banquet, that sometimes they fly or ride in the air, which things indeed are nothing so, but they strongly delude the fantasies of the witches. So Gifford you know, is saying like, so witches are real, but flying through the air is not. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's almost like trying to, yeah, trying to have your cake and eat it too. Trying to say like, nothing that God does not ordain can happen. So these things which God does not ordain can't happen. Um, right. But these people are still witches. But they're still because witches. They, because the devil has deceived them into thinking that these things that God does not ordain have happened. I mean, it's yes. just so strangely circular. And yeah. Yeah. You know, for those of our audience who have listened to our, the 
uh, last wolf episode that we did, we realized that, you know, the wolf was deployed metaphorically in all sorts of ways as being, you know, as a, a human being who is uh, deceptive and, and kind of predatory towards other human beings or a problem for, for society. So you right. have... You or, have that or common an outcast. metaphor. An outcast. Yeah. Yep, yep. So all of these things mean, you know, like you could confess to being a wolf and maybe you weren't actually saying anything about fur. <laughs> you you were really referring just to your 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 behavior, I guess. Uh, your behavior or your social status or some yeah. other yeah. you know, kind of metaphorical wolfishness. Yep. So by the mid sixteen fifties, it people were pretty convinced that whatever this lycanthropy thing is, it's it's an illusion. They're not denying that people even believe they are wolves, though, right? That that they, mm-hmm. they might claim to be a wolf, but they're saying that's it's it's not true. J, uh, mm-hmm. James I of England had, you know, he was very interested in witchcraft. And he himself said that, well, the the ones people who think there were wolves are they're deluded. And he even had a diagnosis. They have too much of the melancholy humor. So that causes them then to believe that they're werewolves. So we're so in we a, also in gotta, a sense they're mentally they're mentally ill. They are they are mentally you ill. Know, I mean in yeah. In in ways that were in ways that the early modern period conceived very physically, right? So they 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 did mm. not separate mental illness and physical illness in quite the same way that we do today. So right. they you know, they 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 saw a substance mm. causing all of these things. And it kind of brings us back around to the moon thing because, yes, yeah, like w- one element of that sort of theory of the humors is that the moon exercises kind of a tidal pool, pull on them, and so that people with too much of one humor over another, especially uh, melancholics, are influenced by the moon. And so when people lose their minds, um, it's often lunatics. the cycle of the moon, yes. which is why we call them lunatics. Yes, yeah. And a lot of certainly a lot of uh, tr- uh, treatments that are based on the humors in the period in- involve moon phases or doing things under the light of a certain kind of moon, right? So that's that's mm-hmm. it, it would have made se- absolute sense as they began to turn towards the idea that it is a decep- like an illusion or an, a, a form of mental illness. And I mm-hmm. think it also gives us the modern idea that. That werewolf that to be a werewolf is a a communicable disease because mm. it you know that uh, that's a sort of a mechanism for this uh, you know this delusion to occur other than just someone accidentally being too say melancholic there's this idea that perhaps you know like any other disease it could be infectious and because it involves wolves. Uh, I think there's a little bit of bleed over from rabies or hydrophobia, which is yeah, transmitted yeah, by a bite of a you know yeah. often the mad dog, right? And then the human who is bitten behaves you know markedly differently um, in some mm-hmm. cases. I think that's probably uh, exaggerated these days, but you know under the influence of rabies, you know you're you become pretty deranged. I, I, I do believe in the, in the final stages. So mm-hmm. you've got them saying, you know, we, we know these kinds of things are, are transmitted this way. We have this thing called lycanthropy that we've now decided is a, is a condition, right? That it's not, mm-hmm. it's not reality. So how is that transmitted? 
well, it must be the bite of the werewolf, right? Yeah. As the werewolves are themselves already um, just, they're, they're, you know, mad creatures. Yeah. It's interesting. We haven't done an episode on vampires, and maybe we will for next Halloween. But um, it would be interesting to know when the story about the bite of the werewolf enters the tradition and whether that's before or after the story of the bite of the vampire transmitting this bloodborne disease of vampirism. You know, like they're, they're probably related is what I'm saying. Yes. Because I think vampirism and, and um, lycanthropy are connected in some traditions, not notably the medieval, um, say, French traditions or the, you know, or the English traditions. So they're, they, are, they remain connected in other places and then can come back that kind of connection can come back together. So that's yeah, it's not like the the twilight um mythology of the, you know, the vampires and the werewolves who play baseball together. That's well, all I have I to say I, about early modern werewolves. <laughs> yeah, I think it's time to go howl at the moon, Ian. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Temporarily naked and then wolfish. <laughs> yeah, it's gotten pretty cold out here in uh northern Utah in the last couple of days. The leaves have turned and it's dropping down to freezing at night, so I, I think I'll keep my clothes on. It's the, you know, October is the last howl of the werewolf. Or <laughs> <laughs> they're all curled up, curled up in front of the fire like any good dog. <laughs> like Fish Claveret and the King. And the King. Oh, yeah. In bed very with cozy. the werewolf. Yes. Very, very cozy. Well, it was good talking to you about wolves. I, I'm sorry, werewolves. All right, then. Till next, next time. time. If you have questions or comments or suggestions about future episodes, we would love to hear from you. Just go to realfantasticbeasts.com and you will find lots of ways to join the conversation. Mm-hmm.